Thanks, John. I think I've got an echo here. Good morning, everybody. And for those of you who may not have been here for the last couple of Sundays, we're working our way through the book of Ruth. We're up to chapter 3. Have you been enjoying it as much as I have? God's word is very precious to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you already for our precious time of meeting with you, being with each other, knowing more than anything else that you're here in the midst of us. That's what makes all the difference about being in church. You're here with your people. If you weren't, Lord, we'd just be like any other club. But we thank you that you are here in the midst of your people. We want to just lay hold of you today. We want to be open and receptive, listening, receiving all that you want to give. You're a precious God. You love us deeply. And Father, you are a good, good Father who's been singing. Help us, we pray, to receive from you. Indeed, to offer ourselves afresh to you as well. Open our eyes now and our ears, our hearts to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, normally before, someone, before you go overseas, um, particularly to a different culture, and I suppose most overseas cultures are different, um, so whether you go over there to work or whether you go over there for a holiday, certainly in a mission context, as many of our folk would know who have been on the mission field, it certainly pays you to learn something of the customs and of the culture of that particular people that you're going to be with, that you're either going to be visiting or staying with, engaged with in some ways. Pays you to learn their customs, know a little bit about them. And language helps as well. If you can learn their language, you'll learn a little bit of their language. That's also very helpful, as I'm sure many of you would know. Um, it will help you. If you do these things, it will help you to understand why these particular people do the kinds of things that they do, which we probably in our culture don't do. And uh, if you do learn these things and get a hold of it and, have, and some, have some sort of orientation into that culture, it will save you uh, a lot of embarrassment, awkward situations, misunderstandings and probably other serious things. When Rosemary's parents were in the Nuba Mountains in Sudan as missionaries. Her older brother Ken was born. Ken was the first fair-skinned, blue-eyed, blonde baby the locals had ever seen. Rosemary and her older sister were also born there as well. So yes, I've married an African Nuba woman. Um, uh, born on the kitchen table, born in a grass hut. Hey, some of the women were tough back then, weren't they? Betty Black was one of the midwives. Some of you know Betty Black, who's with the Lord today. Well, the Nuba women, the Nuba women, to show their approval and their celebration, had this strange cultural practice. Do you know what it is? Yes, you guessed it. They would spit on the baby. Yeah. Now, uh, Ken survived, actually. And so did all the other ones, uh, except one. But Ken survived. But can you imagine if you did not have any idea what that custom meant, and you were not expecting that, can you imagine what would happen? How would you like someone spitting on your baby? But if you knew, which they did, that this meant they approved, they were celebrating with you then it was quite acceptable. You know, as we come to the... Uh, we could say so much more about that, but I won't. Read the book. 
as we come to this next chapter of Ruth, it's important that we understand certain customs, probably two main customs or features, laws uh, of ancient Israel. The first custom to understand is what is called a lever, a Latin word. Probably, I don't know if I got the pronunciation right. I think I have, lever. It's a Latin word that means brother-in-law. And it also speaks of one who fulfills the role of a husband to his late brother's wife. I'll let you work that out. You'll see how it works as we get into this and, and more so next chapter. The other feature or the other custom is known as a goel. Now a goel, or the Hebrew, which is a Hebrew word, refers to a relative who acts as a protector or as a kinsman redeemer, which we've heard that word before as well, for the family, a goel. So the custom, the, so the custom called the lever, or the leverite, and by the way, has nothing to do with the tribe of Levi, refers to an ancient marriage institution, whereby if a man, for example, was one of two brothers who married but dies without having any sons, the next of kin, so that's the other brother, was obligated to marry his widow with the aim that she would bear a son who would become the dead man's heir, thereby continuing to keep the dead man's name and inheritance alive. That was so important in that culture, to keep someone's name alive. Let me read how that works, or you'll understand that from Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6. This is what it says. If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son... His widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her, the Leverite. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brothers of the dead brother, so that his name, listen to this, so his name will not be blotted out from Israel. God's going to speak to you about some parallels, I'm sure, more than I can probably fathom in this book too. And you'll see some of these things. It's just amazing how God will do that. So if you, and if you were to read on this passage here in Deuteronomy, uh, you'd, you'd, you'd discover too that there is provision for the brother to say no to this deal. <clears throat> he could do it. However, he would then suffer a great deal of humiliation and shame for not fulfilling his obligations. The thing that is of great importance, which I've already basically said, is that this Old Testament law or custom is that the family name not be blotted out from Israel. Think about that for a minute. Because I want to tell you how wonderful and blessed is the assurance that you and I have in Christ, as believers in Christ, that our Redeemer... Jesus Christ has promised us in this magnificent word from Revelation 3.5. Look at these words. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. Look at these words. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Isn't that magnificent? Is that your blessed assurance this morning? You know, 
In Christ, your name will never be blotted out. If you're in Christ this morning, then you also know from reading Isaiah 49, 16, that you are engraved on the palm of his hands. Magnificent. Thank you, Lord. Now, the other feature called a goel has to do with a relative or a kinsman who acts to prevent property being sold off and lost to the family due to poverty or some other circumstance. Let me also go back to Leviticus 25.25. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So that's property. But the same kind of thing also applies to a member of the family who is, also, who is forced to sell himself or to sell herself as a slave because they can't, pay the, they can't pay their debt, whatever it is, so they are taken as a slave. They have to sell themselves. That's all they got. Now the goel, or the kinsman redeemer, will go and pay the required price to redeem back and set that family member free. That was also part of their law. That was part of their custom. Look at this. Leviticus 24, 47 to 48. If a foreigner residing among you becomes rich, and if your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells themselves to the foreigner or a member of a foreigner's clan, they retain the right of redemption after they have sold themselves. One of their relatives may redeem them. Now, the interesting thing is, here is that that relative, that kinsman redeemer may have all of the, the, the desire to redeem that person. I'm willing to redeem, but listen, they have to have the means to redeem. They've got to have the required price to pay for that person's redemption. So they can be willing as they like, but if they're poor themselves, they can't redeem that person. They won't have the money to pay that price. Does that remind you of anybody we know? who was not only willing, but was able to pay the cost. So both of, both of these institutions are found in these next two chapters of Ruth. And of course, they're, they're in other parts of the Old Testament as well. And even though these laws were part of the Old Testament laws for Israel, I want us to wonder, I want us to think this morning to what extent these laws were carried out by those who not only felt obligated to act for the relatives yeah, and who had the means to do it but were in fact compelled by love to act not that they were under obligation not that they were kind of had the means to do it but but compelled by love love drove them to do this to act to put themselves out to redeem back and other things because you see in Ruth chapter 3 the things that, play, that take place here do so because those who are responsible are compelled by love to act rather than by obligation to act. And so, for example, I want you to notice that firstly, a need is identified in verse 1. A need is identified. Verse 1. Also note this in verse 1. The change. Can you see the change that's come into Naomi's life ever since Boaz has come into Ruth's life? Can you remember Naomi's attitude? Don't call me Naomi, I'm bitter and angry and God's done all this to me. <clears throat> Look at her now. Look at the change 
in Naomi's life ever since Boaz came into Ruth's life. Grief and self-pity and bitterness has all been put aside. Naomi now cares greatly for the welfare and the future of her daughter-in-law, Ruth. I wonder about that change in Naomi's life. I wonder maybe, maybe she saw a bigger picture of what God was doing than in her own little world of self-pity and anger and bitterness. What do you think? Isn't that a bit of a trap that we can fall into? We can be so caught up in our own bitterness, in our own anger, in our own self-pity, we forget that God's got a bigger picture. Hey, you know what? God's doing stuff. And it may be in the lives of people that we know and love and care about, but you might not see it because you're so enveloped in your own little world of misery. I hope there's no one like that. Just see this in Naomi, for example, how God's changed her there. Let me keep moving on. So Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, isn't that a beautiful word? My daughter, she's still my daughter. Should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? So quite literally what, what Naomi is saying to Ruth is, where you will find rest, where you will find security with a husband. That's what I want for you, Naomi saying to Ruth. And she calls her my daughter. She wants her to marry again. And, and, and is that new? No, because she's expressed this to Ruth and to the other daughter-in-law, you remember, back in chapter 1, before they left Moab. She wanted them to just go marry again. You can do it. I can't. I'm too old. But you can, she said. So that was her desire even back then in chapter 1. Her desire. And listen, isn't that the desire of all of us as parents? Isn't that the desire of, of every parent with their children when their children reach that marriageable age, you know, of 35, you know? You know, that, they'll, that they will eventually move out of the home. Move out, please. You know, and find that right person, that right person, and enjoy a life of fulfilment and security together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Got to be in him. The right person, if you're a Christian, the right person will be another Christian. Please hear that this morning. You've got to share the most intimate part of your life and your spiritual side of your life. You can't share with someone outside of Christ. And I know we've got people here this morning, you know that. And I want to be careful, I want to be sensitive, because I know that it doesn't always work out like that. I know that. But I want to tell you, I, I want to read something to you. This is um, written by a. a, a one lady, a wife, who wrote this for husbands generally, and she reads this, she says this. <clears throat> she says, the most important thing a husband can do for his wife is to seek the Lord with his whole heart and being. If he puts God first, God will give him the strength and desire to be an awesome husband. Written by Amy Dunlop. True. Compelled by love. Naomi's desire for Ruth was to marry an awesome husband and be well provided for. So the need was identified, the need is identified. Then secondly, we see a plan is devised. A plan is devised, verses 2 to 4. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley in the threshing floor. Wash, look at these words, ponder these words. Wash, put on perfume, 
get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know what you're doing. Sorry, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. Eating and, that's, that's good advice for a man, you know. She knew what was good for men. Eat and drink first, then go and do what you have to do. But let him eat and drink. Don't try to do stuff on, a, on an empty stomach sort of thing, you know. Good advice from Naomi. Verse 4, when he lies down, note the place where he is, where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. So Naomi's plan for Ruth is, is that she makes it clear to Boaz that she wants him to marry her. I think you guessed that. So Ruth, by following her mother-in-law's wise instructions, and they were wise instructions, is asking Boaz for a leveret marriage where the next of kin would marry his relative's widow and that an heir would be born, a son, to carry on the family name. That's what's behind this. So Naomi's instructions to Ruth, Naomi's instructions to Ruth, when you read this, think about it, meant that it was time for her, time for Ruth, time for Naomi as well, both of them in fact, to put, up, to put away the past and to prepare for the future. This is what this instruction was doing. Forget the past. Put away the past. Prepare yourself for the future. And I think this is wonderful advice. It's wise counsel even for you and me today, don't you think? Three weeks into, th into 2018. Put away the past. Prepare yourself for the future. And I've written this out so we can read it all together, I guess. Ruth must put away the clothes of widowhood, be washed from the dirt of the past, perfumed with hope for the future, and to put on the garments of a bride and to prepare to be ready to meet her groom. This is what it's about. This is what this beautiful short story is about. This is what Naomi wanted for Ruth. Sounds like a plan, don't you think? Sounds like a plan. It also sounds like the Apostle John to me when under the inspiration of the Spirit of God when he heard the multitude of voices say in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, 7 and 8 I mean, look at these words. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Oh, isn't that magnificent? My dear friends, this is the description of the church consisting of all, all, who by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ belong to him. They, we, are those who are his true bride, his bride mentioned in this passage. That's who we are in Christ. Do you see that? Is it exciting for you? <laughs> so let me ask you this question. Have you made yourself ready? Have you made yourself ready like Ruth did? If you were to meet the Lord Jesus today, would you be ready? In the Bible, God's word, it says these magnificent words that we should know all off by heart. 
Let me read them again. For God so loved the world. Do you want to know how to be ready? Look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. A life with him. A life as his bride. A life in heaven that is beyond our understanding in every way, shape and form. You need to be ready. And you can only be ready if you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of sin. Lord, I'm a sinner. I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive me of that sin. Lord, you died on the cross. You shed your blood for me. I take that. I receive that gift that, you, that you've offered to me so willingly. Lord, I receive you. Come into my life. I want to be yours. When you say a prayer like that from your heart, you're ready. And you're going to be part of his bride. You're ready for that day when he comes. If you've never said a prayer like that, and if Jesus is foreign to you, then you're not ready. And you need to talk to somebody this morning before you enter, before you exit the doors of this church, because you need to be ready for that day that none of us really knows when it could happen. Compelled by love, a need is identified, a plan is devised. Thirdly, action is taken. Action is taken. There's no question of Ruth's loyalty and devotion to a mother-in-law. It was, it was that kind of love that compelled Ruth um, to do as Naomi instructed her. Even as risky as it all was. But in childlike trust, in childlike faith, Ruth did and carried out the instructions of her mother-in-law. Look at what she says in verses 5 to 7. She says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor. And did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lay down at the end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and covered his feet and lay down. The owners used to, used to stand guard over their... Thre over, once they'd threshed the, the, the grain, thieves would often come and steal. So they'd stay there, they'd sleep there and guard their grain. That's why they was there. So you can imagine, you can imagine that it would have taken a fair bit of courage for Ruth to go and do this thing that Naomi had instructed her to do. It took a fair bit of courage with this plan of Naomi's, don't you think? So many things could have gone wrong in this situation. I mean, for example... What if Boaz had, humilia had basically humiliated her and said, get out of here. What are you doing here? What if he'd said that to her? <clears throat> what if he'd simply used her for his own pleasures that night, then branded her as a prostitute the next day? Those things used to happen on the flesh threshing floors of, of harvest time. Prostitutes used to go there. It could have been such a disaster. But none of those things happened. For one thing, we know God's hand was over the whole thing. Praise his name. But for one thing, Ruth's intentions, this is important too, Ruth's intentions, Naomi's as well, were honourable <clears throat> And their motives were pure. 
Ruth was a woman of noble character, as verse 11 describes her. A woman of excellence. And the uncovering of the feet was a ceremonial act that was completely proper in that context and in that custom and culture back then. But also remembering too, yep, Ruth was a noble woman. But what about Boaz? Boaz is described as a man of standing. He also was noble, proper. His name means strength. And I believe that both Ruth and Boaz sought to honour God with their actions. And you know, we have this wonderful promise, even from the Old Testament, where God says in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30, those who honour me... I will honour. You honour God, he'll honour you. Even if you don't always get it right, but if your thoughts, your motives, your, your, your desires were pure before God and you didn't get it completely right, God will still honour that. I believe that. Because he looks at your heart more than he does at your hand sometimes. <clears throat> However, that picture I've just painted you of Naomi, go, of, of Ruth going and doing that and uncovering his feet. I need to say this. There's a word of caution I want to say in our context, in our culture. A word of caution. And it's this. We, you and I, need to be very careful that we don't place ourselves in potentially compromising places where you will be exposed to sexual temptations. Don't deliberately put yourself where you know that you will be tempted sexually. And I'm not saying that's happening in this context, but I'm saying in our context, you need to be very careful because there are commentators, there are people who are saying, that, oh, they did have sex on the threshing floor. No, they didn't. But you do need, we need to be careful. We're human beings. Don't put yourself in those places where you can be compromised. Temptation, sexual temptation, you know, is a mighty strong force, a strong drive. Be careful with it. Be wise with that. Take measures to reduce the temptations that we all face every day. Compelled by love for a mother-in-law, Ruth simply followed her instructions and the sovereign hand of a providential God took care of the rest. <laughs> And I'm sure we'll all agree that there is a time when we need to pray. There's a time when we need to, you know, to plan things. There's a time when we need to even wait on God. All that's important. But listen, there's also a time when it's time for action. There's a time for action. There's a time for taking risks. <clears throat> Maybe that's how it needs to be for you in 2018. I don't know. What about for us as a church? What risks might the Lord have us take as we press on into 2018? What risks is God calling you to take with him yourself this year? Someone has said, I don't know who it was, but someone said this, I'd rather take risks with God than to take risks without him. Isn't that true? Do you remember in Joshua chapter 3, the Jordan River didn't stop flowing until the Israelites took that first step of faith? And the Bible says, and their feet touched the water's edge, and then it stopped flowing. 
But they had to take that first step of faith, risk with God. So what risks with God for you this year? Fourthly, being compelled by love, a response is given. Look at verses 8 to 13. I'm not going to finish the whole chapter next week, possibly. How Boaz really felt about Ruth becomes quite evident here. Being compelled by love, he responds to her favourably. After the initial shock of discovering that he wasn't alone there on the threshing floor that night, but realising it was Ruth, and hearing what she proposed... Boaz responds very willingly to her request. Although, again, being an honest, noble man, he does admit, freely admitting, in fact, to her that there was someone else nearer than he was as a kinsman redeemer. But when Ruth said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer or a guardian redeemer, she was requesting, as I said before, she was requesting a marriage relationship to Boaz. She had already taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. Now she was requesting refuge under the wings or the garment of Boaz in marriage. And you know, back then, at a, 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 a Jewish marriage ceremony, from what I understand, is that the husband will place his coat cloak over the head of his bride. He will cover her. So more than just being a goel, more than just being a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, I believe it's quite safe to say that both Ruth and Boaz were truly in love with each other, don't you think? Don't you reckon? And for all you romantics, you can all go, ah, if you like. Come on, you romantics out there. This is a love story. But I hope you're picking up it's a love story about God and you. It's also a magnificent picture of what God does for those he loves. Yes, he loves us all, but not all of us love God. And for the ones who do, the ones who know that he loves them, and then they respond to him and say, I love you, Lord, for what you've done for me. And you choose to follow him as Ruth did. For those who are in that category, listen. <clears throat> listen to how God expresses the intimacy of such a relationship that he seeks with people just like you and me who respond to him as Ruth responded, as Boaz responded to her and to him, to God. Through the prophet Ezekiel, God says this. Listen to these magnificent words of such intimacy and relationship. Ezekiel 16 verse 8, Later I passed by and when I looked at you, and saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and it into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord. And look at these words. And you became mine. Isn't that awesome? You're mine, God says. You choose to follow him you're mine, God says. And you say to God, and you're mine. The Lord is my shepherd. You're mine. 
Because God said first, you're mine. So how much more do we see in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, compelled by love. I've written this out so you can follow me as well. Let me start again. How much more do we see in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, being compelled by love, gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross, paying in full the cost of our redemption. With his own blood, he brought us back. You see, Jesus was not only willing, not only able, not only willing, but he was able. He had the means. He could pay the price. And he did. And it was the most costliest price he ever paid. But he had the means to do it. And he brought us back from the slavery of sin that we were in. And he covered our nakedness and our shame with his robe of righteousness. And then he says to you and me, you became mine. Can I ask this morning as we close, what's your response then? What's your response to a God like that? What do you say to a God who says that to you? Oh, well, thanks, Lord. That's pretty good. Now, I'm just wondering what's for dinner. And, and there's some that are flippant like that, but I want you to get the weight of what Christ has done for you. How God has sought you out. And how he longs, longs to have a relationship with you. You've got to respond to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us today. Thank you for these parallels and I'm sure others that, and, 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 and application that we've seen, Lord, in this word of yours today. It is a beautiful short story because you're in it. You're the author of it. And you're also the active characters in it. So we thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. Help us to fathom this through. Help us to ponder. Help us to, 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 to contemplate the magnificence of what our kinsman redeemer has done for us how he was willing but how he was also able to meet the cost and what a cost it was oh lord help us we pray to treasure even more this amazing relationship that you've entered into with us so we commit ourselves to you lord and we pray that not only will you bless us and that we be drenched in the beauty of this word that you've given to us. But Lord, help us to be those who will pass it on to someone else. This is good news. This is so precious. Others have got to hear about this, Lord. Help us to be people that do that. To share these with our neighbours, with, with friends. To share them with, with family. To share them with people that you bring across our path. Pray for those opportunities this week, Lord, for us. To say, hey, we're going through the book of Ruth. Do you know what it means? These are things I'm learning. Share it with someone else. Lord, help us to do that. So we thank you, Father. We commit ourselves into your hands. Oh, Lord, thank you for being our kinsman redeemer. Yeah, we commit ourselves into your hands. Lord, we want to say you're mine today. In Jesus' precious name, amen. See, if you need prayer, folks, please hang around for prayer. Come forward, have someone pray for you, talk with you. Lots of opportunity to do that this morning. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor David. Um.